Hi everyone, and welcome to The Global Citizen, a podcast by the journal Catholicos.world and FOGS, the Foundation for Global Governance and Sustainability. Today's guest is Suda Reddy from the wonderful universe that is India, where she has done a lot of meaningful work with so many people. Suda has worked at the grassroots level for decades, focusing on the empowerment and development of underprivileged and marginalized communities. Our conversation revolved around the relationship between the local level, the grassroots level, and the top levels of governance, from local and regional governments to international bodies like the UN. So how that interplay between all of the different levels of governance affects different people in different ways. India is a great example of that interplay, as it is a massive country in terms of population, with many different levels of government, from local grassroots indigenous organization up to the centralized power that resides with the government in Delhi. So how does one create effective and equitable policy within this context? Are all groups treated equally in the policymaking process, or is there preferential treatment? How could we ensure that the people actively take part in making the decisions that affect them? If these questions seem interesting to you, then you don't have to do anything but keep listening to this episode of The Global Citizen. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, Suda. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, for this opportunity to make me to speak. (laughs) Very happy to have you here. Um, we could begin by you telling me a little bit about yourself, like your past experience and your background and your interests. Yeah, thanks once again. In fact, uh, I'm not used to really talk about myself, but now you are giving me an opportunity and making me to speak. That's why <laughs> I said thanks once again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm from South India, from uh, Bangalore. I did a lot of adventures in the education, kind of getting into many courses and getting out and seeing everything, testing everything. Finally, I, in fact, I wanted to become a medical doctor. Since my childhood, I've been inspired by many great personalities and uh, you know, in India to do something what I could give to the society, something mm-hmm. which I, how I really took it. And this somehow... And my and also helping me, you know, while I, I read a lot. So when I was reading a lot of books, when I used to feel that I must do something like that, th- that was a very simple, basic, uh, you know, uh, what do you call that? Some urge came inside me when I was already, you know, in the high schools. Mm-hmm. So I used to think what I could do something. Then somehow I felt that doing medicine is good so that I could serve the poor. Because my mother was medical doctor and my dad also a lawyer. I could see both of them, you know, but still they are very humble and helping people like that. So I also wanted to do something like that. Anyway, I did join medicine, but later, um, you know, it's moved out. And then uh, finally I did my master's in sociology. And then also I went abroad and in Philippines, I studied um, rural development and um, uh, social leadership and rural development as diploma. And then there is also another diploma, diploma in development communication is another one I did in Philippines. Then of course, other small things, there's another interesting, uh, uh, it's a community-based rehabilitation for all the 
at that time we used to use the word disabilities that is people with the different abilities mm-hmm. so that was a very interesting and it's a very comprehensive uh, course where we could look at various issues with uh, you know including the mental health and the physical so these are the kind of educational academic background which helped me to strengthen my own uh, way of how to deal and learn myself so much so mm-hmm. this is slightly about my educational background okay yeah could you tell us a little bit about your experience and interest in uh, peace activism so what inspired this interest and what keeps you motivated to stay engaged yeah as i said i've been interested in the social uh, development and the social issues so i started actually volunteering from my college days especially with the visually impaired uh, groups uh, mm-hmm. with the children and the adults later i tried to understand what is the root cause of this poverty which made me to think further what are the what is the root cause and what are the kinds of things what's happening behind these issues because wherever we deal with is more with the poor people and what is the root cause of the poverty and this you know especially in the rural development in rural areas and the rural people so in that sense the more i got into the society out of my comfort then the more i looked in it's not just the idea it's not about the mere economic poverty it's not mere illiteracy it's not mere the kind of deprivations the root cause also is a very violent it's due to structural violence structural discrimination Definitely. oppression all these are the factors which historically have come through and even today the people who are going through this is nothing but violence so that manifestation could be the poverty could be the illiteracy could be something else but it is structural violence especially in the indian context with the caste and you know you know the caste hierarchy and the yes, yes. gender so the religion all these things are a serious issue to think about so that is how um, so it was in back of my mind whatever i was doing looking at the violence aspect of the whatever is happening whatever we are dealing with so that made me to think further how to address this kind of violence i don't have the answer we also when we are looking at the structural issues also we need to understand whatever like you know uh, gandhian ambedkar dr baba saheb ambedkar is like you know i don't call just dalit leader is beyond that and marx all these karl marx i mean indian philosophers there are many many people so all these we need to look at their kind of you know what is that they talked about what is that they understood what is that they are giving us an idea about I mean, so all these things help me a lot to build myself anything so gradually in this also when i working again especially in the city in bangalore city in the urban population i had that experience uh, not only in the rural it's also in the urban so in the urban situation i had a direct experience working with those uh, communities affected during the communal clashes that is hindu muslim mm-hmm. we are basically hindu muslim clashes the rights took place in the city 
also i could see the beginning of 90s is also kind of you know india opened up to the neoliberal economic policies right so there is also kind of a displacement of the poor displacement of the helpless people started happening for the beautification of the cities and you know in the name of development it is not only the big displacements like narmada or you know dam or other big displacements also in the local displacements also started happening and uh, so this is where again i had an opportunity to work with these kind of you know displaced during riots the victims and then it was a directly started working with them the communities who were affected during the riots when i was with them also try to understand what is that violence and what is that we need and what does it mean by non violence itself mm-hmm. we can use these terms very easily but when we are in that situation in their shoes there is something what is this you know where is the justice whether you have to is it a passive is an active right what i learned is that absence of violence is not non violence mm-hmm. it is absence of violence is love is a compassion that is how it would would lead to the uh, our activism which is uh, you know combination of love and compassion and activism could help to sustain whatever we would you know yeah i mean be with the people to work on this you know bringing kind of uh, some justice i can't say that it's completely you know it's a structural issues it's a very long process it's not just one person's work it has mm-hmm. to be a collective process in the peace process like for example we had even when the riots took place we even set up these neighborhood peace committees in the local communities small bringing the youth from the different religions the different faiths collectively and made them to understand religion is not the enemy is the poverty is enemy and what exactly we want and how to go about working collectively so these are the kind of uh, small initiatives some strategies we could use and bring them together to work towards the, the needs they need you know mm-hmm. rather than reacting to the issues and taking up the responsibility collective so okay. there are many examples like that in our small initiatives so while working at the grassroots with the people directly in fact uh, yes i was also there like when the rights exactly took place at this uh, you know i interacted even with the police mm-hmm. what happened and mm-hmm. the police bringing the mediating the different groups and then with the police so such kind of experiences helped me a lot to learn myself and then uh, also helped me to look at the gender the violence against women and right. this whole and then it further moved my activism of peace peace is not just the human it's also about the ecology the whole ecosystem and uh, whatever we are doing to the nature also is a violence it supports a manifesting deep inside once uh, that violence within oneself is also manifesting when you cut a tree you know you pollute something yeah. so you are disrespecting mother earth so all these things are interrelated and interconnected so through this also a few of us again we worked towards uh, what's the role of the women in conflict resolutions mm-hmm. in the peace process 
so i had an opportunity to, to interact with internationally also with the peace making and you know women mm-hmm. who are working for towards peace so it's to understand from different countries how women are working at the grassroots of course there are also national but so different cultures different so that is how it helped me to sustain myself <laughs> to keep myself be as much as non violent as possible right <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that is such a profoundly different approach to power and organization and community from what is in the dominant ideology of power yes. of the state, right? So I'd like to stay yeah. on that point for a little bit and ask you because you mentioned before that it is the structural violence that perpetuates all of these social dysfunctions, right? Like poverty and crime. So, what do you think the nature of power is? that perpetuates these phenomena that gives birth to and sustains these dysfunctions in the fabric of society this is really kind of you know what we are going through right now mm-hmm. we are still going through this it's the power that authoritarian power which really day to day is increasing even today today mm-hmm. is going on it's painful it's very painful how to address some years ago say for example 15 years ago that was my understanding and idea also you go to the people listen to the voiceless mm-hmm. to the voice of the voiceless i can say in that way so how to bring out and be with them and work with them now of course the powers are so powerful the forces are so powerful there in some way what we had some hopes and what we could see some changes and believing this transformative change rather than the small uh, social change is must be transformative it's a long process but with the long process the other side the state and the political with the other it is completely changing now you see it is not the phenomenon which is exclusive to india mm-hmm. right is all over the world across all the countries you could see that kind of authoritarianism is increasing day to day and it's very obviously state is the most powerful whereas though we talk about democracy though we talk about people's Absolutely. representative people's power and all that you know of course there are a lot of voices raising a lot of alternatives lot of groups are working at local level across the world in many many countries but at the same time where the repressive forces also becoming stronger and that is something which they are not exclusively keeping only at the top that power is moving it's not just to the only few class a set of people it's moving to the common people now it's misusing misguiding taking over even the common sense of the people at the common people that is painful now how to address this i don't have answer right now because there are many choices i we think okay this could be this could be this could be but now it is too much is yeah. too beyond our thing but still i can say that we keep working we keep doing there are people there are uh, you know groups which are working and the uh, communities are there still they are still living is not that they are hopeless because when you ask me about the very most powerful structures which working in such a high level 
it's not just political it's also now you know about power is not just limited to the state mm-hmm. it's a power is moved beyond state states are controlled by the other powers right yeah it's not just state anymore power in the yeah. 21st century is much more complicated and much more terrifying to be honest because just blended with corporations and international organizations and states and local governments and uh, yeah. the concepts are not as straightforward as in the past unfortunately yeah there's no demarcation between this or that now mm-hmm. so the control domination and control we started in the family with a very simple way in a societal thing it started with the controlling and domination of the patriarchy and masculine power which actually now reached out it's everywhere is spread to the different uh, levels to the institutions wherever the men are acting i mean i'm say, i'm not making it only men and women but i'm saying like that this mm-hmm. masculine power yeah. is a very destructive yeah. power that is what we are losing out when we talk about feminine power feminine power is more constructive more inclusive that is what we are lost now that is what we could have got it from mother earth mm-hmm. we are lost that I mean, we are losing somewhere. I don't want to say we lost it anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it's the masculine power. I completely see your point. Yeah, completely understand it on a like viscerally. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I would. It's very difficult for me to explain. Yeah, yes. yeah. But it's I think I think uh, I think we met at a similar place there. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, so going back to policy and policy making. Usually, good policy is the result of successful cooperation of all these different levels of governance, right? From the grassroots level to the higher levels. And as is very often the case, grassroots mobilization that's aided by higher levels of governance, but still retains some autonomy in its decision making, uh, usually makes for the best results. So based on what you've learned from your experiences working with communities, what are some bottlenecks you might have identified that prevent the achievement of better policy more inclusive policy yeah see in india we do have a decentralized governance we have like you know from the center to the state to the decentralized from state to the bottom most are the grassroots at the community level so mm-hmm. we, we can say from community to the center and it's of course is actually um, actually um, spoken by gandhi and others about this decentralization of the power power structures mm-hmm. and the policies also have to be made based on how to reach to the last man i mean that's what gandhi says when you plan something think of the last person last man whether i could plan so that that whatever the benefit would reach out to the last man because i say last person it's not just man alone so at the policy level it looks very nice there are pro people policies pro poor policies sometimes it becomes like populist policies but mm-hmm. now what i learned is it's very centralized it is not that they really reach out to the people of course we can say that there are good policies no doubt but still there are lots of gaps while reaching to the last person mm-hmm. however there are recommendations go back to the policy makers but still it doesn't work much and also when they make a draft 
it is supposed to give it to the because it's a democratic uh, way of placing that in transparent way to the public so that let public give their comments it is supposed to be run like that but we don't see any more that kind of in, a, in public domain, uh, domain any discussion or any debate any deliberation happening on that and any kind of policies so where is the so debate? there's no deliberation between communities you mean yeah in the communities means the public i'm saying whatever whether it's for the youth whether for the employment whether for the you know children whether for the women anyway okay anything where is the discussion even about the environment where is the discussion where is the debate once when it comes to us i mean to the people i'm saying when we say no this is not a right thing who is going to listen to us right. it's not happening anymore it is a completely top down approach so for example food security especially now after globalization now we do have this global food crisis this is a major issue across the world so what kind of policies it's only everything is coming from technology is a tech fix solutions will that work how are going to see where is the indigenous knowledge system where are the people who have been survive for such a long time even without all this support in how to learn from them yeah you can't really use technology in the way that it is now to reform the basis of how the system works right you have to rethink how yeah. technology serves you and not use technology as a solution to everything yeah technology is not the end product it's not the end it is it's the community it's the people and mm. if people are not commodities so the, our policies are based on looking at people as commodities as a beneficiary in fact sorry to say that word beneficiary we are people we are the partners in development i mean if you use the word development i have problem with the development itself but mm-hmm. i'm saying instead of that beneficiaries as though state is giving us door isn't it our right nobody talks about our entitlements and rights mm-hmm. so the policies should be based on people's dignity and the rights entitlements of the people which actually suppose enhances the human dignity absolutely but it's it's uh, instruction is given somewhere uh, you know for some of the policies we know for the food and agriculture it come from either um, from world bank or imf or somewhere else and then right. how it is been uh, you know percolated yeah. finally international aid is a whole another conversation right <laughs> how yeah. it works or doesn't work yeah. at times yeah Okay. So this lack of dialogue as you said, this lack of deliberation between communities and between people is enabling this to happen, right? Because there's no democratic approach to how to manage uh, governance, right? So in India, which is a country with over 121 different languages and almost every faith in the world, right? Yeah. In today's India, certain voices out of all of this multitude of people and groups and identities certain voices are given multiple platforms and much access to power and others are being suppressed so why do you think this is yes india is a beautiful country with multiple cultures is so diverse is so pluralistic i am dying to visit really by the way <laughs> yeah please do please do and of course there is no one faith or one particular it's more than heterogeneous it's not just the kind of thing if you look at the traditions is not just 
believers or non-believers. Mm-hmm. It's not just practitioners or non-practitioners. Everything is there. However, the traditional knowledge and uh, philosophical understanding is so much, but unfortunately, it's somehow it's moving towards the domination of a particular class and the class. It's moving towards that. It's moving towards that. It's um. Sorry, I'm taking time because it's really painful, it's and okay. you know it's take your time. Yeah. yeah, because this is not what we wanted to be. This is civilization itself. We know that it's been in such an ancient, and it was so encompassing with so. Because I don't say that you know I don't want to say that uh, to romanticize anything like you know the past. Of course, we are with many other issues. There are conflicts. There were from. In the midst of conflicts, in the midst of uh, oppressions, in the midst of invasion, we also had developed assimilation of different cultures and bringing out how to, you know, with the dominant traditions, we can kindly, if you look at very minutely into the regional and local level of um, of making the people be much more value. I mean, you know, spiritual values. It's not be a religious. Spiritual is beyond religion. Or within the religion, it can be beyond religion. Mm-hmm. Okay, those spiritual values have been simplified and communicated to the masses by different, you know, simple folk, it's people from different traditions. It's a blend collected from each traditions, picking up the you know ripe cherries or the you know fruits mm-hmm. and collating them, and you know then looking at each one's value. And then giving to the people, ordinary people, to how to live. You know, in a peace means it's not just peace alone. Uh, without justice, you can't have peace. I mean, that's very clear. But you know, in how to collaborate, how to live harmoniously, even despite the differences, how to celebrate the differences, how to take the similarities also, how to appreciate both similarities and diversities. And these are the things which we've been given to us. That is how we lived and we appreciated these uh, syncretic cultures all the time. But certain forces are, you know, is moving towards. And also, of course, there are different types of economic powers also playing the game. It's right. also the capitalist forces which are also going along with the very conservative forces. They both go together. But ultimately, what do they want? They gain by all this. You know, whatever the differences, whatever that thing they want to create, right. divide and then take this opportunity. I mean, misuse this. This is how I feel that is happening. Okay. I think in many, many countries, not what happened to Sri Lanka, what's happening in Pakistan, what's mm-hmm. happening. You know, when mm-hmm. you look at other countries, it's not just India alone. Definitely. So at the community level, what do you think civil society organizations or grassroots movements or, and citizen organizations can do to create a more inclusive dialogue in policymaking so that these things can be tackled from the bottom up, right? In order to connect these communities and inspire change from the bottom, from the grassroots level. Yeah, there's been a long tradition of uh, civil society activism in our countries. 
not only in india in, a, in fact you could see that more than a global south is a long tradition of participation and taking up the issues which are concerned with the bottom most grassroots communities and giving voice to them organizing them mobilizing them to take up the responsibility to demand for their rights and you know mm-hmm. thing it's been there it's also we have seen uh, even during our freedom struggle that is how gandhi and others used that non violence and you know especially that's very interesting even today what gandhi taught us like you know satyagraha fasting is a non violence way to deny a certain oppressions and express our discontent or express what we want to do and you know these things and through the non violent way of this satyagraha still going on still many of us civil society groups or activists use this approach this methodology to voice our demands so many a time you find in all whether it's a women's movement whether it's a environmental movements whether it's a techno poverty and anything to address it's always there will be some kind of satyagrahas taking place to address this and to express our demands is is very common even today maybe some kind of violence do happen but more or less is non violent so this is how to express with you know your protest non violently at the same time of course that's in the kind of any anti democratic policy if it comes like anti environmental or whatever the policies which when the government announces definitely there is a this is a kind of a response people take up this, especially civil societies do take up this of course sometimes government invites sometimes may not invite but sometimes invite to have dialogue there also sometimes the government listen to few i think it all depends on the government and the policy makers mm-hmm. it's their way of dealing i can't deny that no we don't get at all we do get a, a response from the government sometimes okay So do you think an answer to this problem might come from the national level perhaps or even the multilateral level the international level or do you think that the best way to address it would be from the grassroots level itself to elevate these voices See what are the policies that are framing at the multinational level so okay it's the international level what are the economic policies whether it's a health whether this covid i mean you know these are the things which you know any kind of policies but at the grassroots they don't understand they don't understand they see their everyday day to day life now the cost of living is going up everything is increasing even the rice and the wheat and whatever food uh, items have been is really inflated now mm-hmm. it's a kind of you know we are facing that people think oh oh rice now i have to pay some 2 dollars or 3 dollars compared to the you know just for uh, now 2 years ago or 3 years ago or, or 10 years ago whatever but that's the limit why it is happening of course now social media is hectic social media gives a lot of information both plus and minus both mm-hmm. positive and negative information and media also plays i don't think our media really bothers about all these issues all the real people's issues mm-hmm. they are different now so of course there are some good channels some good media some press which come out with the thing but it's a day to day struggle so 
our responsibility as activists are as a civil society thing to explain to them for example what is the form recently we had uh, some controversial form laws on agriculture okay government has been done that but what does it mean how it does it going to affect the marginalized farmer i'm not talking about the big farmers the small land owners or the landless people because still we have a large number of these people it is not the big corporate sector of farmers we do have a small holders marginalized small farmers and how it's going to affect them because they cannot it's not that they cannot but it's something which is a very complicated mm-hmm. and even we unless we study in depth try to understand from various dimensions as well then only we can say something it's not that simple and so when we explain to them they will also respond to that so recently the farmers movement is not a big farmers who protested for more than a year there in sitting in delhi it's it's a small farmers and also to support them in solidarity in every almost all states in almost all uh, you know local level small farmers joined together to protest in solidarity with this big farmers movement in delhi so like that it's an education education helps them and we need to educate them about the policies about the impact of the policies what are the consequences of this and whether we need to accept how are we going to do it and whether we need it or we don't need it okay wow like genetically modified it's coming it's already there there was a large protest earlier and there was also the policy makers listened to this for a while but now it is not but still there are movements who are really working on this okay thank you for that answer that is true right education is the facilitator of all of that because if you if you make people aware of their rights and what they should be fighting for and what the result of that would be then obviously but you know you have to take into account i believe also the financial limitations and all of the resource limitations that these groups have as related to other groups that can use more resources to have access to power right but yes education is definitely the core yeah i would like to add it's not just civil societies at the outsiders mm-hmm. for example the tribals the indigenous people right right in the central india still they they are fighting we know that it has like you know mm-hmm. uh, i think against the companies against the mining big mining companies but you know these are the things actually it is indigenously happened mm-hmm. it organically developed it's not that outsider came and taught them that right. so there are certain things solidarity even those now because of the media and all that you know social networking and that's becoming global now yeah like it's in canada as well in india in africa there's a lot of yeah. uh, counter movements by indigenous peoples that now through yes. the internet are becoming more and more you know visible yeah. and interconnected which is one good thing that technology can bring to organization and to yeah. liberation that's a, that's a positive definitely, definitely yes definitely okay so one last question to finish this amazing conversation um how do you think that a decentralized approach to policy making as we were just talking about would differ from the current top down policy implementation structures 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, like that is what we really looking for, you know, anything, any policy like social protection or whatever is just be talk to the people whether they really need it or not. Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they may. that's what I can say. It's a macro policy. People don't understand. You're talking about the micro level. No, there should be a connection between the macro and micro. Right. And after all, for whom? For whose sake these policies are making? For whom? Who is going to be benefited by this policy? You know, differently abled, whether it's for the poor to reduce the poverty, whether it's for the women, whether it's the farmers, whether for the children, securing at least a minimum employment for the landless, with the rural population or the urban population, you name it. You know, communicating to the people, taking, listening to their voices, it's possible to listen to them then we can decide whether to change it, whether to make any modifications or whether you explain if it is a, what is the real benefit to the people. Right. People may listen to that. They may find that yes, this is beneficial and yes, I want it. Yes, we want it. But there is no dialogue. There is no communication as such. Top down is not the myth. It is with the people. That's what I say. Listen to the people and make the policies which are decentralized policies, not at the top, which is not a common, because we are so diverse. For example, uh, I give you this uh, recently, the fortification of uh, the high rate of malnutrition is there among the children in India, hunger and uh, malnutrition. So the one of the examples, uh, one of the solutions, again, the tech fixed solutions mm-hmm. what we are seeing is a unilateral solutions you know unilateral decisions which are taken up and saying that now they are going to chemically fortify the rice and then distribute to the, in the public distribution system that is the don't know whether you know this is the largest public uh, you know distribution of rice to the poor people to the below poverty almost 80 million other people who live below poverty line Okay, so it's a public distribution. This is through the outlets at the local level, at the village level, in the city also. They get this rice at a very minimum cost or even a free in states like our state. It's a free for them. So now fortified rice will be given. I mean, that's an idea. Given through the public distribution, the rice. And then already they started introducing in the government schools where they have this policy midday meals that is giving uh, meals in the afternoon so that the children who co- attend the schools also will be nourished. Because more the children who go to the government schools are from the very poor background. Mm-hmm. Okay, So they'll get the food as well as the nourishment. Of course, there is a system. It's not just uh, casual food. It's also nutritious food. Quality, quantity, everything is calculated and formed and it comes under the National Food Security Act. So that will be distributed for the children at the same time at the child centers, the pre-primary school uh, child centers also, the food will be given and the rice will be. So this is going to be completely fortified rice because the idea is to reduce the anemia, iron deficiency, but there's also kind of whether all these people have the similar deficiency undernourishment, undernutrition, the causes are vary. It's not just lack of iron or lack of something, you know, is only one. No, it is, it's a multiple reasons which make the child 
malnourished. That's the symptom, yeah. And then the, yeah. the causes extend to the social realm, to the political realm, to, you know, how to interpret all of these things and why these... And the solution cannot be a one single solution, like a yeah. quick solution of these fortified arise. Right. This is just taking care of the symptom. Yeah, it's not addressing the root of the problem. You're just you're just putting yeah. a band-aid over the wound, but you're not really healing it. Yeah. Now, if you say that, yes, this is what we really, we are concerned of the children, we're concerned of the women and all that. Well, okay, go to the people and explain to them why you are doing this. Right. It's not been done. And just supplying the rice, people are thinking, what is this rice? Is a plastic rice. They're thinking it's a plastic rice, something else. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm not for the fortification, but I'm saying it's not that, you know, with the good intention only, government also makes the policies. It's not that. Uh, but let it be circulated. Let it go to the people. Educate the people about this. That's the challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it comes down to trusting the people, right? It comes down to power, having a compassionate way of dealing with the different communities and the subjects of power. Yeah, so it's not about just homogeneity. In India, that's what I'm saying, with the different castes. There is, you know, Mm -hmm. there are also still, you know, the castes who are struggling. Yeah. You know, the people who belong to the lower caste, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, this is the inequality, inequity. Are we addressing not just inequality? Are we addressing inequity? That's very important. See, now we talk about inclusiveness, growth and inclusiveness. Please, don't use that word growth. Whose growth is this? (laughs) It's not that, you know... It's not the people's growth, that's for sure, yeah. The economy's growth doesn't mean... uh... In India, you know that how many billionaires are there. Oh, yeah. The gap is so widening. Where is the equity? So when you're making policy, you have to think of social justice, equity, equality, dignity, so-and-so. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. what happens when you let a problematic system unchecked, right? The symptoms just keep perpetuating themselves and things get worse. Anyway, <laughs> on that uh, slightly pessimistic note, unfortunately... <laughs> No, let's uh, not be pessimistic, at least for time being, yes. But still, there are people who are really working. Kind of, the future yeah. is the future. Yeah. Yeah. And then people like you are going to do something. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> okay, so Suda, I would like to thank you so, so much for this interview. It was very insightful. You had amazing points, very informative. And I can say that I came out feeling like I know a lot more about the dynamics of grassroots politics and of India in particular. So thank you so, so much. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Jason. I really enjoyed talking with you. It's really, you know, like getting back to my, (laughs) reminding myself, you know, where we are, what is happening and all that. Of course, there's some kind of a pessimism, but still we are hopeful of the future. Yeah, definitely. We need to be. We need to yeah. be. We need to be. Yeah. Okay. Thanks again, Suda. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks a lot for this time. No worries. My pleasure. Goodbye. Bye, Jason. Bye. Bye-bye.